And welcome to Fascinating Nouns. Now, if you are listening to this transmission, we are still the galaxy's most trusted source for incredible people, places, things, and ideas. Now, together we arrive at this curious nexus point, and we will explore the strange, unusual, offbeat, bizarre, intriguing, interesting, invigorating, quirky, quaint, quizzical, weird, wild, wacky, the fun, the frivolous, and the fringe, plus all the spaces in between. I am your host, Daniel J. Glenn. Hello, Fascination. Welcome to the show. So I think all of you have achievements that you want to accomplish, goals that you want to finish, marks you want to make on that checklist known as the bucket list. These are having a sense of accomplishment. This is what propels us through life. And a lot of people look back and they say, look at all these cool things that I did before they end this journey that is life. And no one exemplifies that more than today's guest, Gary Whitgriff, who at the age 65 went from South Dakota to Alaska on a bike. That's almost 3,000 miles, almost 5,000 kilometers. And he did it while fending off wild dogs, bears, a crane, not getting hit by a car, uh, and while eating as many sticky buns and caramel rolls as he could possibly fit into his mouth. I envy that. Uh, I envy Gary, uh, and we're going to talk about his adventures, which he chronicled in his book, Destination North Pole. So without further ado, I want to get into the story as quickly as possible. So Gary, thank you so much for being on the show today. The thing I got to get, I got to get this correct right off the bat here. It's Gary Whitgriff, right? Right, right. There's only a couple hundred of us in the world, so not too many people have been able to pronounce it. So yeah, Whitgriff. <laughs> well, I do my I do my homework, which is a, it's a great. It doesn't look like Whitgriff. It looks like White Griffey, uh, which is you know that's a pretty good name too. That's uh, well, I'll, d- I'll just say that uh, my father uh, did not have it pronounced that way when he was in school, and he said, uh, "I'm not going to have you pronounced that way." So. As of this night at supper time, <laughs> this, this is the night. way your name is pronounced. So, <laughs> so what was it originally? Avikarapi. Oh, that's or great. As, as he said in uh, uh, his uh, kids would uh, kid him and say, it's uh, whip, whipped gravy. So whipped gravy. <laughs> and, and, you know, so anyway, whipped gravy. Two that's syllables. great. I like the whipped gravy for sure. Uh, well, it seems like you, know, you, you come from a great background. I mean, would you consider yourself a man of integrity, Gary? Yes, and that's what I like about your program because it's uh, it, you have real people interviewing. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Well, I like that you turned on me. Well, I, I'm going to come in hot on this, Gary. So I, I'm I, I got a question for you here. Not that I would ever question your integrity, but there's a bit <laughs> there's a fraud I want to uncover. There's a conspiracy going on here, Gary, that I want to uncover, and that oh, is your book is called Destination North Pole. Yet absolutely. you don't go to the North Pole, do you, Gary? You go to oh, a you go to a North Pole. There's no North Pole. There's no selfies with Santa. There's no elves making toys. There's no Rudolph ride along, Gary. Explain yourself. Absolutely, there is. I I, I don't have them in the book, but I absolutely <laughs> went to North Pole. What people get confused is my niece, nephew, and three grandnieces live in North Pole, Alaska. It's a real place. It's a real town. It's up by Fairbanks, just below the Arctic Circle. And uh, they moved up there 16 years ago or something like that. And uh, I wanted to do a long bicycle ride. And uh, I asked my wife if she wanted to go along. And she said, no, she'd rather drive. So, okay, I go, I'm, I'm going to bike to North Pole. And, if, you know, when I tried to figure out a... A title for the book. I mean, we came up with different ones. Friends come up with different ones, and I go, "I'm biking to North Pole, Alaska." That's it. It leaves the image that it's magnetic north, but okay, if it helps sell, you know, sell the image, fine. Oh, but it, you're fine with a little bit of a subterfuge, a little bit of uh, razzle dazzle. Don't let the truth get in the way of a good story. That's kind of what we're. Uh... I, I, I spent seven and a half years in military intelligence, and I, I tell the truth. <laughs> well, you did go to you did go to a North Pole for sure. And what's interesting Absolutely. is you went from uh, South Dakota to Alaska. And what I love about it is, you know, we're, we're goofing around about the North Pole. The North Pole is still pretty north, but it's not the northernmost point, which is Utkiadvik. Uh, 
uh, formerly Barrow, Alaska. Now, I have to tell you, when I first started reading this book, I was convinced you were going to the North Pole. And then I think I, I realized that it's really difficult to bike over the ocean. So uh, <laughs> so that's probably a little bit of my fault too, Gary. Uh, did you try that at all? Have you tried to bike over the ocean? Uh, no, but I was closer to, when I left Pier, I was closer to Greenland than I was North Pole, Alaska. <laughs> which people don't realize air, air air miles it's yeah yeah it's it's closer but the yeah it, it's just uh, a, a long ways away i never uh, uh my wife and i have done some as you, if you read the book uh, uh done some uh you know six day bicycle trips and things like that with groups right but uh this i i, I biked by myself and and my wife caught up with me in western saskatchewan and from there um, I threw all the, the the panniers and extra weight into the vehicle, and and she went ahead and found nightly food and lodging, just like I did the days before. She caught up with me. Well, I have to say, I had to look up pannier. I didn't know exactly what that was because you mentioned it a few times, and then I had to take a quick little diversion and look that up. Uh, but they're like bags the saddlebags, yeah, basically saddlebags, yeah, yeah, yeah. saddlebags. Yep. I, and maybe let's not leave North Pole because uh, I, I do cover it in the book. People get it confused with magnetic North Pole, and. Uh, magnetic North Pole between the time I, I I left and a year and a half later when I started writing the book, magnetic North Pole had moved 60-some miles. So <laughs> it, it is a moving target, and I think it might be actually over a Russian claim territory right now. So Oh, yeah. You, uh, so it's a good thing you didn't go is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, thing. that's right. <laughs> Even though I think you are Russian, uh, of Russian descent, <laughs> right? Yeah, Ukraine, uh, German. Ukra- German? German. Oh, okay. Ger- well, actually... Actually, my uh, grandfather on my uh, mother's side uh, was born in Ukraine. That's what and I thought. So, but but my name is actually German. Okay. Or German Dutch. Yep. Sure. I don't know if that level of removal uh, would <laughs> let you get by in Russia. I think right now things are tense. Um, no. But I'd love to Maybe see it. I let's you try. Going. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, so let's t- let's talk a little bit about this trip because you uh, you were 65 years old at the time, which is w- really admirable. Uh, you drove, and I also love your dedication to the metric system, which talks about your European roots. Uh, but you, it's about 5,000 kilometers, 3,000 miles, and you gave yourself 60 days. You did it in 40. Now, the thing. I, I, I know you've been asked this question before, but I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about it in terms that that I can understand, because you logged two thousand nine hundred and ninety seven miles from beginning to end. I'm not an OCD guy. I'm sure people listening, but th- that is an itch that has to be scratched. I-, I cannot believe you didn't do the extra three miles. You've answered the question in the book, and you say that um, you know you didn't do the extra three miles because that would have replaced your goal uh, of getting there alive. That was your primary yeah. goal. Um, yeah. But but you weren't on the verge of death, at least not at that time. We'll get to the epilogue later. Uh, so when you hit that mile marker, why not go the three extra miles and then just have a new goal? And then, you know, you, Mr. 3000 sounds better than Mr. 2997. You can agree with that. Yes, yes. And I, I agree. But when I uh, Google mapped it and map quests in different ways, it came out to like 3,011 miles or 3,000. 12, something like that miles. And I kept a spreadsheet. I had really no intention of writing a book about it uh, until COVID shut us down. It was a good thing to do. Right. But I did, right. a, did a daily blog and I did a, a spreadsheet. I like data. I'm an international researcher, so I, I research things mm-hmm. and uh, from an agronomic standpoint mainly. And I, uh, I, I kept a spreadsheet. When I left, the time I uh, arrived, what highway I took, what the elevation, how many calories I burned. And I plugged in the daily mileage from two odometers. I had no idea when I got there that it wasn't over 3,000 miles. Mm-hmm. And so I, I didn't know until That's I fair. come back and I go, okay, I'll do the book. And I analyzed it, and it's just less than 3,000. Okay. Right. Well, it doesn't bother me. I will tell you, it bothered me, Gary, which makes no re- – I know that's not relevant to you at all. Uh, but I was reading it for two reasons it bothered me. Number one, how often do you get where your beginning point and your end point are so close to a round number? And we're just obsessed with round numbers, especially here uh, in the United States. We, we are. And, and it, uh, it, yeah. you read the book yeah. and the, the most people wouldn't believe it, but it actually came out. 
0.5 miles. <laughs> because crazy. I, I took, I took uh, I, as you maybe remember, uh, my, I had a, a flat tire going down a mountain in yeah. uh, the Yukon. And uh, the, the place we were staying was right at three, th- three miles into town. And, and so I, uh, this nice young uh, Coast Guard couple uh, moved their kids over, put the dog in the backseat with the kids and uh, uh, hooked my bike onto the, uh, the back end of the pickup between the trailer. And uh, we, uh, I jumped in the front and we went where my wife was waiting for me, just expecting right on time. Mm-hmm. I, I, sh- I showed up and said, well, I'm going to have to fix my tire tonight because this young couple uh, just brought me in. And the and that made that would that three thousand miles would have made it right at three thousand, which I didn't know at the time. Mm-hmm. But then I got picked up in the Yukon and I got a severe lecture where uh, there was construction and they wouldn't let me bike through the, that half mile of construction. Right. And I biked through miles of other construction in the Yukon and they let me go. Yeah. But uh, so I, it was just over a half a mile. And so, yeah, it's 3,000 half mile if you want to get technical. Yeah, but that's crazy because you got you were driven a half a mile, and that's the 3,000. That's the 3,000.5, and then you had a flat tire that was a flat tire that was exactly three miles, which makes you short. Yeah, I mean, three, then, three miles. I mean, three miles to the tenth or. You know, that's 0.98. I don't know. It's but, the, <laughs> but that's that's nuts. I mean, because you know there was this great movie called Mister Three Thousand. If you were a baseball player, three thousand's a big milestone. Uh, you <laughs> know, I, I'm harping on this, but you know, there's a great Bernie Mac movie about you know a baseball player with after recalculating, he was at two thousand nine hundred and ninety-seven, I think, hits, and he had to get three more hits to be Mister Three Thousand. That's what he was telling everyone that he was. Um, anyway, I don't mean to harp on this. I'm sure that you know y- you've already. Uh, I-, I don't know how you go on with this to be honest this, with this, you. this probably drives you crazy <laughs> that i call it five thousand kilometers my, my subtitle is five thousand kilometers by bicycle yeah. which is not five thousand kilometers it's yeah. four thousand eight hundred whatever yeah it's because unacceptable but but uh, i know i know but uh what uh, three-fourths of the trip was in canada so i had to convert it to kilometers it was a kilometer trip right yeah that's fair i mean yeah you did spend a lot of time with the neighbors up north uh you know and and i love this story because i did an episode on a man who climbed mount everest which was you know death defying yeah a man named jim davidson Uh, i'll put links um but this you know in some ways his his uh you know he survived an avalanche which is extraordinarily deadly but i want to get to some of the stories uh, about how you, because he had people there, you know, where, where he was, you know, traveling up up Mount Everest. But in some ways, what you did is even more dangerous because you're out in you're out on the road, but you're in the Yukon in Canada. It's extraordinarily uninhabited and wildlife roam. And when I say wildlife, I mean bears, wolves, dogs. We're going to get to some of those stories later on. Um, but I was I was fascinated. I want to talk a little bit about you, Gary, uh, because okay. you, there's some interesting things that you kind of casually drop in the book that I got to know more about. And you mentioned it just previously, but what is an ergonomist or ar- ar- uh, ag- agronomist? Agronomist. There you agronomist. go. Maximizing I, I, crops. Is that uh, kind of what it is? Yeah, that's that's a, that's a good summary. Yes, I, I work with crop production, trying to get the most with the least inputs, most economical uh, production. Yes. Okay, Most, so it's, you know, like economic strategy, but with um, with plants. Yeah, you could say that. My my degrees are in commercial economics and ag business, which really has not a lot to do with agronomy. But uh, I'm uh, agronomy. I I just love to uh, study plants, roots, what makes them tick. I you know some of my YouTube videos are I, I, I've written a couple books on millet, which is uh, an ancient crop, and and so I dig into the agronomics of that. And so, oh, by the way, mentioning YouTube, this, you, you, you know, I talk about some of them animals. Well, if you just uh, put the name of the book, Destination North Pole, um, and my name on YouTube, uh, up pops a nine and a half minute video of some of the animals that didn't kill me. You know, the, the, the bears and the wood bison. And, Not for lack of know. trying, though. <laughs> uh, well, my goal was, if anything I underestimate in the book, I... Uh, I, I wanted to make it a good read. Nobody is interested in an old guy struggling to, you know, uh, get through the day. No, definitely. that wasn't the case. It, w- it wasn't the case at all. I, I, I did not struggle. Uh, was there long mountain climbs? Yeah, there was eight mountain ranges. It, it made it difficult. But what if, if somebody wants to follow this route, um, be very aware that it is 
uh, there's a lot of stuff that'll kill you. Yeah. Well, for sure, uh, absolutely. We're going to get to some of that, but I am I am fascinated with the with your your obsession, may I say, with millet, um, because you even <laughs> you, you even put a video and it's called "How to Produce Prozo Millet." And it's subtitled. I've never seen a four-minute YouTube video subtitled "From Seed to Emergence." This is almost like your love letter to what I would say is your soulmate, your second soulmate. Patricia's your first. Millet might be your second. Um, why millet? Can you give me a quick summary of why? Why did millet capture your heart like this? We raised it on our farm when I was a little kid in northern South Dakota. And I, after the Air Force, after uh, university, I got a job at the South Dakota Department of Agriculture, and we were supposed to help farmers. Uh, sell their crops, get a better uh, market for their crops. Well, we got calls that they couldn't get any price, 0.00 for a bushel of millet. I mean, not, nothing. And my boss called back, this was in 1978, calls back to us five that were working in his department. He says, anybody back there know anything about millet? And I go, we raised it on the farm. Okay, you're the millet guy. And oh, wow. so I, I I left the department. I, I you know, as marketing manager for a grain journal, other things. And I kept getting calls and calls and uh, international letters on um, uh, millet. And so I was producing it out of my own, I'm returning calls. I was making copies and mailing. And I go, well, I'm going to put out a book. And so it was a book on marketing, worldwide millet and where it's produced and which countries who exports it, that kind of thing. And then the farmer said, yeah, but we want to know how to, how to grow it. And so that generated my second book in 1990. And by the by the way, that that second book, uh, How to Produce Proso Millet, is is uh, by far my biggest used book. It's in every country basically that produces millet. And so, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I will. T- is it obsession? I mean, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, for for our sake, we're going to use hyperbolic terminology for sure. Um, no, nobody else does it, so I did it. You, you're the millet. You're Mister Millet. You know, you're Mister Two Thousand Nine Hundred Ninety Seven. You're Mister Millet, um, and you also have a lot of patents. This was this was fascinating to me. You've got several arg- uh, agricultural patents. Uh, I was reading one on biomass conversion, uh, and as I read it, it started to discuss uh, sac uh, liquefied biomass. Uh, and biomass slurry, and at that point, you know, it was difficult for me to eat dinner because uh, slurry does not, it doesn't conjure great images of food, but this was fascinating. You got several patents, um, which is amazing. Yes, that is actually my last patent. My other patents are, I did one on equipment design, and uh, then uh, other patents come along on how to make that automated piece of equipment work. It's basically handling bulk, bulk product where you key in a keypad and, mm-hmm. and out, out pops your product. Uh, as specified, but my biomass patent is really—it's um, an engineering, it's a uh, um, utility patent, is what they call it. But I, I basically come up with a way of taking a field of corn or wheat or soybeans or whatever and converting it into a liquid in 24 to 72 hours, and mm. got that patent. Got that patent. That, that is that sounds delicious, Gary. Uh, I do want to try some liquefied millet. I think that that combines yeah, both of your loves. Um, but we're gonna we're gonna get to that later. Well, well you might uh, you might like it because the the goal is to produce an alcohol. So I don't uh, drink. Do that. I don't drink. I'm a teetotaler. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm a teetotaler, uh, well, Gary. That's fine. That's uh, fine. That's why your programs are so clear. <laughs> <laughs> I got to keep a level head, man. Uh, I got to, you know, I got, I got stuff going on here. Um, the other, th- this is another a great piece, and this ties us back into the story here. Is you invented a piece of gear specifically, specifically for this ride. You call it the wrist support bar. Now, clearly, you're not an ad man because I got a better name for you. Whitgriff's sure. wit- wrist rack. Um, which is, I mean, that's beautiful to me. You give yeah, this www <laughs> exactly wwr. Um, yeah, you could make you throw a little w in front of the rack. Um, but I will tell you, you you've given out this patent for free because you think everyone should use this, and I am going to give you that name for free. I'm not going to charge you for it. Um, so if you if you market it under that, it's all yours. Um, just you know, send me one of these for free, even though I've got pretty strong wrists. Uh, well, it, it, this is a piece of equipment that I, I'll, I'll back up. Whenever I, I bike 25, 30 miles, I would get sore wrists. And so I went to the bike stores and said, help me with this problem, because i got to be not the only pro- person with this problem. So they sold me palm pads and padded gloves and a tilt, tilt handlebar, and, and so replaced my standard stem. I still got sore wrists. And so the day before I left, I was pretty well packed, 
And I, I went down to the local hardware store and I took my, my solid handlebar stem and went in there and they just kept shopping around. And he says, I, I need something to support my wrist. So I got a piece of PVC, I got some foam, uh, got some uh, electrical tape mm-hmm. and some, some bolts to mount it. And I rode 3,000 miles on this thing. Now, well, no, you didn't. You didn't. Hold on. Hold on a second. You, you didn't ride 3,000 miles. You rode 2,997 miles. Let's be clear miles. and specific here, Gary. But, but it didn't fall apart while it was being uh, <laughs> towed, the other. But, no, it was uh, it, it, I, for three, th- almost 3,000 miles. I go. never had sore wrists because it, um, it vibrates. And, and I show, I made a video of that, too, and show people how to, how to make it. And by the way, it's not patent. It's an invention. But not patented. Mm-hmm. So I have patents and I have inventions. This is an invention, not patented. Okay. And so you adjust, anybody can make it and adjust the handlebar with the tilted stem to support their wrists at whatever uh, uh, angle they want. That's it great. works. I, I love it. I mean, it's great. I love that you put it in bold every time you mention it uh, <laughs> in the book, which is fun. Um, and then we got to talk about two other things here before we get before we get rolling here. You oh, also right. casually mention your years in military intelligence what did you do, uh, and did it hopefully involve extraterrestrial life? And can you tell me? The last part is no. The last part is no. The first part is I wore headsets for four years um, and and spent time overseas. Now, keep in mind, I'm a Vietnam era veteran, so times are different back then. Yeah, and for sure. uh, then when I when I got out, I I went to college and I spent three and a half years. Uh, basically making maps of targets and uh, specialized in drawing radar screens. Wow. Uh, targets on radar screens is my specialty in that in that field. Well, that would have been a short-lived career because obviously electronics uh, uh, supplemented the reflectivity of, of uh, uh, towers and, and background material. And so I, I, I wouldn't have made a very good living in that for more than another year or two. <laughs> well, you know, to bring it back to aliens for no reason at all, uh, there is a rumor that it was our radar that brought down one of the crashes at Roswell, uh, which is fascinating. And also, thank By the you. Way, that's a good story. That was a good interview. Dude. Oh, thank you. It's one of my favorites. Um, you know, we're coming on the 75th anniversary. It's just one heck of a story. Uh, and thank you for your service. Vietnam was was not an era where I would have <laughs> I wouldn't have handled uh, getting drafted very well. But you, I, you know, I did not. I, I did not get drafted. I, I volunteered, and I did not. Although I spent uh, time overseas uh, over three years, I did not uh, go to Vietnam. So I am not. A, I'm a Vietnam era veteran. I'm not a Vietnam veteran, to be clear. Okay, that's fair. I mean, you're still supporting the troops, man. I mean, you're still you're still doing it. Um, and here's the last thing we got to talk about this because this <laughs> might be the piece of the interview here. And I don't know how you didn't go into this story. But you set an unofficial world record for playing continuous softball for 74 hours in Japan uh, for a, 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 for the blind for 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 a um, for a nonprofit for the to raise money. How is this? Yeah. How is this possible? What is this story? And and also, by the way, I want to keep let everyone know you can't stay up for more than 72 hours without hallucinating and borderline going crazy. What happened there, and did that prepare you for this long solo ride we're about to talk about? <laughs> oh well, I, let me. Uh oh, what do you, you got your you got your Guinness record back there? Uh oh, don't drop that on your head. I don't know if you can see that, but this uh, let's is a pull it up from that game. Holy cow! Yes. Look at that. <laughs> That's amazing. Holy. And by the way, it's 74 hours and five minutes. Oh, and five. <laughs> Let's get it. If we're going to be exact, keep it a theme. We got to make sure it's exact. There you go. And that's this great. Is the, this is a picture of me back in the day. Holy I did it cow! In com- you did it in combat boots. Oh, and jeans and, and full bell bottom jeans. jeans. Yeah. I never changed clothes for three days. That was, and that was yeah. People wouldn't sit close to me because uh, of that. But, uh, <laughs> uh, no, we had this. It was uh, Korea. Uh, back in would have been around 72, had set a uh, uh, supposedly a world record on the longest, uh, I think this is a uh, longest uh, softball game. And so I, uh, I heard of one that our base was uh, going to do, and we were going to do it for nine days. And so, okay, we'll beat the Korean record by six days. And by the way, we need some some participants to do an endurance. <laughs> right. And I go, okay, I'm kind of an endurance guy. Yeah. And I, I didn't know it at the time, but I was, 
endured more than anybody else. Uh, the other people, the last person quit at 64 hours or something like that. And so I played the, the next day. And uh, by that evening, I, uh, uh, you, you mentioned hallucinations. Yeah. You, you, you do in certain ways, but uh, part of it is resolved by eating decent and, mm-hmm. and drinking decent. And I, I did not consume enough water, and I certainly didn't eat more than about uh, three sandwiches and a couple of oranges and an apple, I think, that whole time. Wow. And so I, I yeah, I, I, I did play it, and uh, every hour, every hour that I would play, People donated money to uh, uh, blind causes, basically uh, uh, Operation Eyesight, it was called. And so uh, it was never certified because of the paperwork and other things they did after I quit. But um, or after I, I was actually asked to, uh, OK, here, you, you've done it long enough. We're going into the evening. Uh, it's, you know, you got the record. So <laughs> they just called it. They're like, all right. All right. Enough, Gary. Back it up. Uh, well, so th- I mean, it's interesting. And I. You seem to be extraordinary, extraordinarily athletic. You're in shape. What I thought was interesting about your ride here, as we get back to the whole point of your book, which is which is biking from South Dakota to Alaska, is that you didn't do any preparation beforehand. This was stunning to me. You did almost zero training, and the only training that you really did was to test your odometers. From from what I from what I understand, I think up for eight months beforehand, right? Is, is that is that incorrect? Yeah, I, I hadn't biked in eight months, but keep in mind we were uh, we had spent uh, several winters down in uh, southwest, south central New Mexico, or Mexico, and uh, you know looking at the Pacific and the Sierra Madre Mountains. And so I would hike sometimes with groups, sometimes my own, uh, 10, 12, 15 miles, twenty miles, and uh, the longest was three of us uh, did a marathon hike, just out to a town and back in a day. And so, uh, uh, is that preparation? Yeah. You use your legs, bicycling. I use my legs. I, I come back, I, I made this handlebar. I loaded my bags and, and I took off. Well, I wanted to test my odometer, the one I had ordered in from Amazon. And I, and I went up to Walmart and, and bought a new odometer, replaced the one I was on there. So I had two ways of measuring my distance, by the way. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, no, I, I, jumped on my bike. And that's why, you know, my plan was to only do about 50, 60 miles uh, every day mm-hmm. to begin with, just right. to get in shape so that when I did get farther north and there was hundred mile days, I would be able to do it. Yeah. Well, I mean, and that makes sense, but you know, I, often when people tell me that they run marathons and I say, I, I'm not going to do that is because the first guy who ran a marathon was not prepared for it and he died <laughs> as soon as he yeah. gave his message. At least that's the myth. Uh, you know, yeah. you didn't prepare for this. And, you know, as you go on in the epilogue in your book, it kind of bit you in the backside almost literally, which we'll talk about later. Um, you know, and I think that that's kind of what, uh, when it comes to preparation, that was kind of the thing I took away from this, is that when you're doing this long of a trip, and in some ways what you did could be considered a bicycle-level marathon, um, I was a little surprised that you were able to complete it, was when you crossed the finish line, you were pretty okay. I mean, that's pretty remarkable. I, you was, know? Fine. I was fine. I was fine. I lost it. Uh, I, in fact, I, I do book signings around here, and I had a guy this week ask me, this was on Wednesday, he, he said, uh, uh you know, how many pounds did you lose? Because him and his other guy biked up on a bike and, you know, see my bike sitting there. And so he started talking then about my books and, and I, I, I said, I lost a pound. Well, that many miles and you lost only a pound. I go, well, I must've ate enough, I guess, you know, my wife found good food. So, yeah, well, we're going to, we're going to get to your little, your, your sticky bun fetish later on, which I'm sure had a lot to do with this. We're going to talk about that. that yeah. Yeah. There's we're going to, we're going to get to that. Cause I was, I was, your, 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 your love of sticky buns slash caramel rolls is legendary, which we're going to talk about, but I want to get to the Genesis moment because there's this great moment you talk about in the book where you, you, you didn't really have an idea to do this bike ride, but you were talking to a 70-year-old guy in a bar. Um, tell me how this story went, why it inspired you, and what happened. Uh, my wife and I, as I mentioned just a little earlier, uh, the only bike long bike trip we have done is my wife and I biked uh, for six days with a with a group of bikers. Well, one of those one morning happened to be— uh, Now, you mean—I bic- don't mean to stop you, but you mean bicyclists, not bikers like— the Hell's, oh, no, a- Hell's no, no, Angels no. or anything? Uh, no, no. We're, 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 we're cyclists. Cyclists. Okay. There cyclists. we go. Okay. Bicyclists. Okay. 
And so there was this guy, I, and I'm guessing he's around, you know, 70, 69, 70. And uh, he, he was at the table with us. And I go, hmm, you got a pretty fancy bicycle jersey on there. And I said, you must bicycle a lot. Oh, no, this is my son's jersey. I just just wore it. And I go, I've, I've been biking a couple of days and I've seen you. you you're, you're pretty good shape. Well, yeah, I, I biked in most, uh, bicycled in most states on these kind of things. And I go, oh, well, what was your most interesting uh, bike ride? Well, it was when me and my two brothers biked up to Alaska from South Dakota, biked up to Alaska and uh, to see your other brother that lived up there in the summertime. I go, oh, that's pretty cool. And so I... Uh, they they did it, and I figured, well, three brothers can do it. Why can't I? So. Well, it's got to be more than, oh, that's pretty cool. Let's do this. I mean, th- was there anything else? Did that trigger something in your mind? In your Did it resonate with you in some way? Because that's a big undertaking. And you were, I think you mentioned you were... Um, like maybe in your fifties at the time, which is, you know, it's not, it's not old, but it's, it's when you start to, as you move up in the age ladder, as I realize that I'm doing myself, certain things become more difficult and that's what makes them kind of cool to accomplish. But why, you know, when you get to be that age, you're like, ah, oh, I've kind of done everything. Do, do I need to do this? But you said, yes, I need to do this. Why? Well, keep the keep in mind this, this, these old guys were, were younger than me when they actually did it. Mm-hmm. But I was, you know, I retired at 59 and I had written uh, a couple of books. Actually, I was on my uh, book tour uh, with two of my uh, Relating to Ancients series of books. And and I turned 65 and I go, I've been using my mind, you know, uh, writing books is fairly heavy books, is, is uh, ta- mentally taxing. So I go, okay, I want to keep physically fit also. So I will, I'm 65 now. I think I'll just uh, see if I can do a, a bicycle trip. If I'm going to Alaska, I'll go to North Pole because that's where I know somebody lives. And uh, if I don't make it, I don't make it, but at least I tried. Well, now, first of all, it's a North Pole, not the North Pole. I want to make it, keep everyone in mind there. And also you did, you kind of made an attempt to do this after you heard the story. You went to your boss and you were like, Hey, I want to do this trip. And, you know, I got some time off. Can I do, uh, you know, an unpaid sabbatical or whatever? And they said, yeah. we'd love to support you, but absolutely not. So they didn't let you do it. And then you waited eight years to do it later. So this was something, this was a pebble in your shoe, Gary, yeah. that was kind of itching at you. Yeah, that's that's true. And it kind of upset me because I read the company policy and I'd worked for the company nearly 20 years. And uh, it was, yeah, you could take leave without pay. And I just thought I should, my boss's boss said, uh, we think you can uh, do more good here, and they probably didn't want me to get killed. Is probably yeah. another reason. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. Uh, and so I, I developed a, a bulk handling system in the U.S. and Canada. So I, I was traveling all the time anyway, uh, not on bicycle. I was driving or flying. Yeah, it's better. And better so, move. Uh, and so I, uh, I, I just will say shelved my my initial plan, and then one day I asked my wife if she was wanted to do it, and. Uh, and she said, no, but I'll drive. And so, okay, we went. <laughs> well, a good point here, because when you were talking to the guy, he went with his brothers. And, you know, I, I'm, I've, got, I've got two brothers myself, um, and I don't know that I would want to go on a bike ride with them. They would annoy the crap out of me. Same thing happened with this guy, this buff 70-year-old you were talking to. And you said, okay, I want to do this, but I'm going to do it solo. And I'm not saying you don't love your wife. I'm not suggesting there's any trouble in your marriage. But there is a <laughs> no. reason that you went solo and she drove ahead of you. Um, there was, you know, th- there's there's a moment there where that, that kind of connects. We're like, I got to do this by myself. Actually, she's she likes to bicycle. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's in 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 very good shape. Um, we're we're active hikers, walkers. We bike, you know, almost every day. Mm-hmm. And and so um, it was it was not something that it was her passion. Mm-hmm. And I go, that's fine. That's fine. Uh, she drove the 3,000 miles uh, and probably more because uh, I didn't check the odometer. But uh, <laughs> she 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 went on. She did her own hikes. She did uh, uh, some bicycling. Some days she uh, she'd go ahead, and uh, you know there's not all of cell phone coverage. And uh, she got on the highway and started by after she found lodging. She biked back and met me, and then we would oh, bike cool. in together. So yeah, so we did uh, different things together, and she. You know, uh, obviously found food and uh, the best thing, found, found lodging. So I had a clean bed every night. Yeah. I, and that's what surprised me. I never camped once on the whole trip. My whole goal yeah. was to to sleep in a clean bed. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a 65-year-old guy. I want to, you know, I, I want a clean bed at night. And so uh, 
Uh, fortunately, now with with internet and being able to look up things, we were able to find Airbnbs, bed and breakfast, work camps, uh, you know, motels, uh, you know, whatever uh, places to stay. Yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah, I love that. You know, she, I mean, for you know, for the record, she probably did drive three thousand miles, so she's Mrs. Three Thousand Miles for sure. Um, she was there. She, she was, was there. there. She got there when I got she there. She was there so. for sure. Um, yeah, but it is interesting because you were able to find lodging, and I thought that would be a problem given how remote everything was. Um, but you know, here's here. This is going to be the thing that, you know, besides the 3,000, which I think I've hammered home, the other thing that really stuck stuck out to me about this journey, journey that you did that I don't know that I would be able to handle is all the time by yourself. You went, you didn't listen to music. You didn't listen to headphones. You talk about, you know, it's just nature around you. Why, Gary, why on earth would you want to be alone with your thoughts for that long? I got too much crazy stuff rattling around in my head. I don't think that would be particularly wise for me to do. You said you brought a radio once. You listened to it. You hated it. You never listened to it again. Uh, I'm impressed by that feat alone. I, I, I Keep in mind, I had just finished a uh, my two books relating to ancient uh, culture and learning are over 700 pages. And so it takes a lot of thought. And so it's not like I... Hadn't been thinking of that stuff, but um, I, uh, I we haven't had a TV for I don't know 10, 15 years, and so I don't watch TV. And I'm I used to listen to music quite a bit, but um, I, I well I said in the in the military I wore headsets, and so my my goal was to to hear stuff that other people didn't hear. Okay, so I I I biked almost three thousand miles and. Uh, only wore soft earplugs because those soft earplugs blocked the wind noise. And I could hear every metal arc. I could hear ducks on the ponds ahead of time. I could hear rustling in the brush. I, I made, as, as I described in the book, I, I, I made a game out of trying to guess what right. was coming up on me <laughs> right. uh, and what, uh, by, the, by the sounds. You know, yeah. Was it a motorcycle? Was it a car pulling a trailer or a truck or if, you know, somebody pulling a boat or whatever? What was your wind percentage on that? Like how many times were you right? I never kept percentages. I, I mean, what else are you I, doing? I was, I was probably, I was over fifty percent after. That's not bad. Um, by the time I got to Alaska, I say I was over fifty percent right because uh, different vehicles, depending on how many axles, make different sounds. I would love, given how much you love graphs and charting everything, I would have loved to have seen <laughs> the accuracy in a chart from the beginning of your trip. How <laughs> mo- were you more accurate later on? Is it an exponential growth? Is it linear? Absolutely. You know. Uh, I was better later on, and part of the reason is there's less traffic. Right. As you get from the Dakotas into the Prairie Provinces, it's fairly flat. There's not a lot of echoing yeah. from mountains or whatever. Then you start getting into uh, western uh, Alberta and British Columbia. You start running into the mountains, and in the mountains, things sound different, and they echo different, mm-hmm. but you also run out of trucks. You you, you run out of uh, a lot of people just don't drive up there. And so half the trip was on the Alaska Highway, which, by the way, is closed, or at least parts of it are closed now, and uh, because of washouts and, and whatever. And so by the time you get through the Yukon, you pretty much know what kind of vehicles are traveling those roads, and you pick out you know what they sound like. I, yeah, so I'm guessing both uh, both by your proficiency being increased by practice and the lack of human beings, you probably were very accurate <laughs> in the last little stretch. Yeah, yeah. If there's very few people driving vehicles, you know, whether it be an RV or a truck or a or a car or a pickup, I mean, you kind of narrow it down sure. from a motorcycle. <laughs> yeah. You uh, you you start narrowing in the percentages. Oh, process of elimination. I mean, you also talk about how you you mention a song from uh, a Bob Seger song that was going over and over in your head. Uh, I get earworms a lot, and they're they're maddening. I could not imagine them on a biking trip where you're just going over and over, especially with the rhythmic pedaling of your feet. Uh, this just sounds like uh, you know a psychological nightmare for me. But I'm glad that you endured it. I'm impressed by that. I, um, yes, they can be annoying, but they also can be very entertaining because you pick a song north to Alaska. Mm-hmm. I go, oh, wow, that, you know, uh, that's where I'm going. And so I made up my own lyrics. And so I practiced <laughs> my own lyrics. So it gets away from, you know, you tie in some of the actual lyrics in with your own and you 
you know, make your own story. Sure. I mean, that's the great way to do it. Uh, so let's talk about you. You set out on this journey. There's a couple things that are vital that when I thought of immediately, first of all, water becomes very vital. And I love the story where you set off your, you got day one, you know, everyone's yeah, 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 rah, rah, rah. You ready to give, you pop on your bike and you take off and you forget your hydro pack, which is literally where all your water is, uh, which is yeah. kind of a false start there, Gary. It, 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 I mean, I was so excited that Sunday morning when I took off. I mean, I was, was going to leave at 7 o'clock. So, um, well, I tell you, it's 5.30. I'm, I'm cranking to go, and I got everything set up. Yep. I, my water bottles are on. I, I carry two water bottles on the bike, one emergency one on the back, plus my hydrate pack, which has about a half gallon. And I take off because there are friends in town that uh, had done some long-distance bicycling. Uh, I stopped at their place in, in North Pier, and I, I'm chatting away, and I go, or my wife says, uh, where's your hydrate pack? I go, oh, I guess I forgot to put it on. I was so excited to leave, you know. Yeah. And so uh, I took off. She went back and got it. And, of course, thanks to my dear wife, I I, I biked the whole way with that hydrate pack. And I, and I should say, um too much. I, I was me and the bike and my water and everything weighed 285 pounds when I left wow. with all the panniers, the bags mm. and, and stuff full. But um, it was it was nice getting rid of my spare tires and everything else once my wife caught up with me in Western Saskatchewan. Yeah. Well, it's nice to have her because she was kind of like your mobile, you know, your mobile unit. I mean, she had all this stuff with her, right? I mean, she's kind of like a tactical unit. She, you know, she's driving around with you. When you go through four spare tires and, you know, I'm, I'm a cheap guy. I, I thought I'd just buy, a, a you know, a, a fold-up tire, put it in my pack because it's a little bit lighter. It folds up. Yeah. It's a little easier to carry. Yeah. And I thought, well, I'll, I'll use up my used tire that I have on here. And put on that one, it'll take me the rest, you know, another 1,500 miles or whatever. Well, shoot, that that new tire, that fold-up one, only lasted about 250 miles. Wow. And so, fortunately, I had extra old front tires in our in our car yeah. and vehicle, and uh, uh, ended up using them. Well, you got very, you got extraordinarily lucky on this trip. I mean, because you you could have, you had a couple of blown tires, you had a blown, you had a blown chain while getting chased by a dog. Uh, two, dogs. two dogs, two dogs. Um, you you avoided a, a wolf attack, uh, and and you had one instance where you something like a screw fell off. You went and looked for it. You couldn't find the screw. The bike's inoperable without the screw. Yeah, because the the pannier hung down into my chain, and I, I I I needed something to hold it back up. Yes. Right. And so you happened to be at a place that had a hardware store that not only had the screw you needed, but the Allen wrench to put it on. You're a lucky guy, Gary. This, yes, the Allen wrench I carried because mm. I, I, there's, there's like four or five Allen wrenches that I carried, which fit all my uh, places on my bike. Right. But I was a half mile away from a new uh, Cenex, a new store, a farm store. And uh, I mean, it was probably less than a year old and they installed this massive display of every nut and bolt you could imagine in remote uh, northwest north dakota and it was like i could see why farmers would go there because who's going to drive another 100 miles into minot or whatever to try to find a screw right you know so <laughs> right. this this farm co-op was was supplied to the hilt and i had left the parking lot i heard this scraping I couldn't find it. I ended up going back in. I says, here's my problem. And they go, okay. There you go. This lady t is going to come back here and go through it. And they had the exact thing. So wow. it cost me 26 cents. And I go, I don't want this happening again. I'm only about, you know, a tenth of the way in or whatever. Mm -hmm. I'm going to buy three extra ones. I mean, I might have to carry, you know, an extra uh, four grams, but I'm ready to go. <laughs> That's good. And that didn't put you over the limit. So four grams. Uh, and I don't know what that, again, you, you and this metric system. Gary. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, now, there you so. go. There we go. That's something I can understand as an American. Uh, yeah, I want to talk about this this one thing. We mentioned the, the sticky buns, and <laughs> there's this one story you tell in the book where there's all this advertisement for this bakery coming up. You go on this whole, like, you know, tangent about how great it is that you've got, you know, these small towns that have their own bakery and their own dairy, and you just can't wait for these homemade goods. And you're you're excited. Your yeah. mouth's watering. You you, you go yeah, into town, and the bakery's closed. <laughs> what? That's insane. Like, so what happened with that? Like, I mean, what what were you feeling at the time? That that instance happened actually in the Yukon, and I'm biking along, and uh, like 
many places, uh, uh, temporary places, they pop up a temporary sign and it says, you know, five kilometers to this, uh, it was a French bakery. And I go, oh man, you know, I'm, I'm just imagining all these, these smells. And, you know, I had biked several hours that day already. And, and, uh, cause I usually took off around five in the morning. And so this was probably mid morning and I'm ready for a sticky bun. I'm ready for a caramel roll. Sure. And I get there, the first gate is closed. There's two gates in this place. And I go, oh, I go to the next, the gate's closed. I smell. I go, nothing. There's no smell. Nothing. This, oh, this is crazy. All right. And I, I keep biking. I get five miles, uh, five kilometers past. And I go, there's another sign. I stop. I turn around. And the exact same sign is out there. Right. <laughs> well, when we, when we came back, this is in uh, western Yukon. Uh-huh. When we came back, we drove back. I did not bicycle back. When we drove back, my wife and I went to that bakery. And I said, I was so much looking forward to especially seeing your temporary signs on my shoulder, which I had a you know, Oh, they were open this time when you went back there. Yeah, they were, they open. were open as a French bakery. Unbelievable. Said, well, we had to go we had to go into Whitehorse, which is like, you know, four hundred miles or three hundred, whatever it was, into Whitehorse to get supplies that day. Wow. We, we do that like every 10 days. You just happened to bike by on the day and we were closed. <laughs> that is awful. Well, because that place was deserted, you didn't get deserted. What about that? What do you think about that? Do you like that? You, you're, you're, you're a word. <laughs> you like yeah. that? Fast thing now, baby. Uh, yeah, good. Thank yeah, you. very, yes. That's what I was uh, Well, besides puns, what were the most dangerous things to avoid that when, when you were on this trip? I mean, because obviously an empty bakeries and no food, that's a problem. What about distracted drivers? you know, bears, wildlife, what was the number one thing that you really had to keep in mind at all times? What wasn't distracting is the smell of a bakery. You will do a lot of things to go for a smell of a bakery. It's just amazing, especially when you're in the mountains. Okay. What will kill you? Most, most people, when I left, uh, I just planned on biking and, and my wife was going to go along. And then so many people asked me, well, you're going to do a blog. You know, we want to know if you made it or where you're at or whatever. So I go, okay. And so I did a daily blog. And so people people followed me thinking that I'm going to get killed, you know, by a truck or, or you know, something <laughs> right. that hits me on the, on the side of the road. Vegas odds where and that so was going to kill you. The, the truck was going to kill yeah, you. Yeah, they'll, they'll, Two they'll to know one. where it's at. Well, that was, especially when you get into uh, 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 main roads in Canada, they have very wide shoulders, especially in the Yukon. Mm-hmm. It's a very wide shoulder. Yeah. You can set a car there without hitting it, driving by in your lane. And so I had, um, I, uh, it was easy avoiding traffic. It was not easy avoiding uh, bears who were grazing dandelions along the ditches. I, uh, uh, wood bison, uh, they, they like the grass. And just to explain a little bit, um, they call it the bush in in the Yukon in Alaska, but it's it's a, it's just a matter of a whole bunch of different trees, and and they're very in height. And I guess it's only about every ten years that they actually trim out, you know, uh, fifty yards or oh, whatever right. to the to, to the actual heavy woods. Sure. And so you have this this menagerie of, of bush, and so. Uh, bears would sit in there, but uh, between five and nine in the morning, wood bison, bears, and most animals are out doing their daily feed. Mm-hmm. Well, remember this is Yukon, and so this is in this. Uh, I was it was a June when I was up there, you know, uh, and so by about nine o'clock, it's getting warm enough that these beasts are moving to the bush. Right. So people that drive the Alaska Highway, I've talked to many of them. They say I hardly seen an animal, and I go, what, "Were you were you driving?" Through there at five to nine in the morning. No, no, no. We were camping. We, by the time we get going, you know, it's about ten thirty, and uh, you're not going to see them. Right. And it's so I literally seen hundreds of wood bison, hundreds of black bears and grizzlies, and fortunately, the the bears, uh, well, they were more interested in dandelions than me, I guess. That's but good. Uh, cars, trucks, would, would motorcycles would go by, and they would keep grazing. I mean, they would just you know, picked dandelions in the, in the, uh, the wood bison were just great. By the way, they're 25% bigger than our bison. They were uh, grazing along, but me on the bicycle before I would get there, they would, they would turn their heads towards me because I was that much different. What is this? Right. I don't know. Is it, is it something I should be, you know, and uh, it's, it's bears can outrun you. They, I mean, if they wanted to, they could outrun the bicycle. They're much, much faster than I could ever bike. Yeah. And same way with wood bison. If they wanted to kill me, they would. Um, you know, I, I I didn't run into her, but a, a mother moose come out of the ditch one time and and was facing me on the on the shoulder. And I 
I was um, I used to being around cattle because we raised cattle. And so the smooth stopped. And I go, I, I slowed to a stop like fairly quickly, but I didn't want to scare it. And I don't think they can see very good. But out of the bush comes this little baby moose calf. Oh I mean, this, I, I didn't believe a moose calf could be so small. <laughs> right. do, 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 do. So maybe a couple of days old, yeah. he comes up to the mother. And the mother, either and my nephew that lives in Alaska, and he's a big hunter and stuff, he says more people get killed and injured by moose in Alaska than bears. And there are a lot of bears in Alaska. Uh, yeah. And moose just stomp you to death. This moose, I, 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 I didn't want to be offensive at all. I didn't want to make a sound. I didn't want to move. I just wanted to show her that I'm not somebody to mess with, but I'm not going to hurt you. She took her baby calf, went across, went the next ditch into the bush on the other side. And so, you know, didn't kill me. That, I mean, that's amazing. I don't know how, I mean, I don't know how as a biker you could tell a moose that you're not someone to mess with. Cause in truth, you kind of are, if it wanted to kill you, it would. And you know, the thing that I've always heard of as being a hiker is it's bears aren't, they don't, animals don't care about you. What they care about is protecting their young. So the thing that would actually terrify me is to see a moose with a little baby, especially one that small, which means if you get anywhere near and seem threatening at all, you're toast. I mean, that's it. I've, I've been chased by bulls and cows and, uh, yeah, it's 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 not fun, no. and <laughs> no, and, yeah. and moose. Uh, what I think a lot of people when they see moose, if they've seen uh, a wild moose, they're usually in a marsh grazing, and and uh, they don't realize how long the legs are. I they're mean, long, these man. moose have very long. I I think I could have ducked down and and rode my bike underneath her. It was just <laughs> that their belly is that high off the yeah, ground. Yeah, that's that's insane. Well, I want to talk a little bit about bears because um, were you at any point did any bears come close to you? Were were they ever a threat at all? I mean, did anyone chase you? Did they, or were they all pretty busy doing their own thing? Yes, they were. And, uh, I, I used what I could for obstacles and avoidance measures. I, I, uh, learned, you know, I, I read some bear books before I left so that I would be familiar with, you know, what, what I should do. Uh, I, uh, you know, different times motorcyclists would pull up and they would take pictures or an RV would pull up and I would, you know, I would listen, I'd slow down and, oh, somebody's coming. Man, if there's a bear real close to the edge of the road, I mean, I can predict a tourist, a tourist is going to stop and try to take a picture of the bear. And so I uh, uh, use them to get out into the other lane. Uh, My wife was following, I'll give you one story. My wife was following me. Uh, one day, this was uh, around 11 o'clock, and uh, we were deciding, you know, how far I could go. And she supplied my water. She says, "I'll I'll catch up with you in a few minutes, and, and we'll talk it over." So maybe a half hour, she she laggered behind me, and uh, I we pulled in, and she she pulls to the side ahead of me, and I pulled up, and and I said, "Did you see those three bears back there?" And you know, she goes, three? There were five." And I go, <laughs> You know, wow. that's when it made me realize yeah. there's more stuff seeing me yeah. than I'm seeing. Definitely. Yet. And that's what's going to kill me. Yeah, de- definitely. I mean, it's crazy. This, I mean, some of these, I'm just amazed you you, you kind of work through it unscathed because you talk about, there's two things and, you know, you, you talk about, there was some part where you were with, the, you were looking at a bear and then you look to your right and a crane was drafting behind you, which is, that's nuts. I mean, that's like something, you know, that's crazy. I, um, I, did, I did daily blogs, and so I wanted a, wanted a story. And, and this one was a, a, a black bear come out of the ditch, and most of the time they're grazing in the ditch. They they don't loiter in the uh, on the roadway, and so it come out of the ditch, and I'm slowing down, slowing down, waiting for it to get across before it, it comes to me. And so I go, okay, wow, this is kind of a cool story. So I'll write that up for my daily blog. And I mean, it was not shortly after that. I, I don't know if I felt or, or, or seen something, but I looked to the side and literally my, the, my tip of my index finger could have touched her eyeball. Wow. And, and her wings were behind me. And I was going in, uh, it was a northwest wind and I was going uh, uh, north at that time. And so uh, the, the, the breeze, I was probably scooting around something like 12, 13 miles an hour into this breeze and she was coasting behind me. Not only that, she lands in the bush, in the ditch, actually, in the ditch in front of me. And I go, this is crazy. Yeah. I, I I slow my bike to a stop, and she walks into the, the bush. And at that time, the bush was four and a half, five foot tall. 
and she would she would squawk it. <laughs> I, I, I go, I got to get a picture yeah. of this. This is cool. Yeah. So I snap different pictures, and I, I get my peanut butter sandwich, which is in my front little bag. So I get my peanut butter sandwich I'm eating there, and she every once in a while, whoa, whoa, whoa. I go, oh man, this is this is cool. I get out my, my other peanut butter sandwich, and I go, I this, I I don't know what to think of this. I think she wants me to come in and see her nest, or you know. A female cranes like this guy she was drafting. I don't yeah. know. And uh, you got the you got the I, juice, I go, yeah. I gotta go. The, <laughs> the bears are around here. This is this is nuts. I and finally I took some pictures and I went on. I never did see the head in any of my pictures because there's just so much to <laughs> sure, see. Yeah, yeah. But uh, it was yeah, a crane drafted me. That's crazy. I mean, that's how fast you were going. I mean, you you know, that that a wild animal is using you to you know get a little get ahead in life yeah keep in mind you know airspeed and ground speed are, are, are sure. different she she would have two or three miles an hour faster than i was going yeah and so that trying was to build you up here to keep her up trying to build you up okay. here, Garrett. yeah trying i to only give average 10.5 miles an hour for for you know almost days, almost so. three thousand miles yeah uh, so the what, last thing, you know, the, I want to talk about a couple of these, the, these two bear, these two dog attacks and we'll go over briefly cause I imagine they were pretty traumatic, but the first time I think you got chased by two dogs, you were answering a call, um, which you said you never do, <laughs> which probably guaranteed you never answered a call again. Uh, that must've been pretty scary cause that must've taken you like by surprise. Uh, that, that was actually, that was a one dog story. Okay. Oh, that, oh I'm that sorry. One, that one I was in, I think Saskatchewan. And uh, it was a farm dog. And I was, uh, you know, uh, biking. I, I, I seen it's a farm dog. And so I, 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 you know, glance over, I get this call. Boom, boom, the dog, uh, you know, is barking. And I answer my call. And I think it's my wife. Well, it's, it's my nephew. No, it would have been in Alberta. And uh, it's my nephew. And I coast to a stop. And I go, it's a farm dog. You know, I've been used to farm dogs. And so I coast to a stop. I... I'm, I'm talking to him. Hey, Dave, you know, how do you want to, oh, I just wanted to see where you're at. Boom. I had stopped. I forgot to unclip. I, I, I worked oh, up some. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My bike, my bike falls over sideways. I'm laying on the dirt, and here comes this dog after me barking. I, I got to go to him. I jump on my bike, and I take off, <laughs> yeah. and I'll run the dog because it's a farm dog. And so I, I get to the top of the hill, and I, I call my nephew back. Sorry about that. And he goes, oh, no, I thought I killed you. you know? <laughs> Close. So then, then another time, this would have been, I, I can't remember, British Columbia or Yukon. You're right um, by the end, right? Like you're right at the end of the whole. Well, whole that one, that's. Another now, one? This is, am I, this am is I conflating? One. I might be conflating these, here. These, <laughs> these two dogs came out of a cabin, and um, they were they, they were fat. They were old. You tell they were house dogs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. They, they were going to be bear meat. I you mean, know, yeah, they didn't you kill know me. The, I hollered, you know the dog. Strange, but <laughs> as soon as I seen these coming, I, I, you know, across the opposite ditch, I, 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 I jumped on. I, you know, I don't stand up and bicycle. I, I sit down and bicycle. Sure. I just don't want to use my power to do that. Sure. But I wanted to get out of there. I yeah. stood up and hammered and broke the chain. I go this. Now I'm screwed. These dogs are coming after me. And uh, I hollered and beat him back, basically. But the last story was in Alaska, uh, far eastern Alaska. And I'm uh, confident because I'm on my last day and I'm, I'm, I'm pumped. I'm, you tend to lose uh, awareness, I guess. You're, you're not as scared after biking that long. Well, you've also repelled and, two dog attacks. You just told me you, you beat this dog off. You, another one you outran. So you got there, you're there too other, much confidence here. There were other other dogs that were minor, but in in this case, I heard this barking, and it was it was I, I, I could tell by the, the 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 bark that it was a dog, but it was a it was not a normal dog. And so I, <laughs> Get normally, the crazy. I just I just as soon as I hear a dog bark, and I I take off running. Well. Uh, a biking, excuse me. And so this beast uh, I, I, I caught up with me. I mean, almost caught up with me. And I could hear it as it was coming closer because it was barking. And I didn't see the cabin. But I, I biked as hard as I could. I swung across the road back and forth. One time I looked down and I could see his head trying to grab my pedal as it was coming around. Wow. And the head was, was wide. Yeah. And I had only seen one other animal like this before and it was it was on a farmer's place in uh, south dakota where we were doing a test plot like i said i'm an agronomist doing a test plot and uh, my dealer that took me out there said never go into that yard by this dog it's half wolf half dog 
And it's, you know, it's, it, was a, it was a big dog with a very wide head. Yeah. Well, this one that I run almost got me in Alaska. I pedaled and pedaled, and I don't know how far I went. Two or three miles. Most dogs, I outbike wow. in a half mile. No problem. No problem. Not this one. And I, it just kept coming and coming and coming. And so I, by the time my wife caught up with me, maybe a half hour after that incident, I, I couldn't hardly talk. I was so scared. <laughs> right. I, where were you? I, <laughs> right. I thought you were behind me. I, 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 it just scares me to this day. I, yeah. it, that would have killed me. It, it sounds yeah, I, terrifying. I, I, I'm clipped in. There's nothing you can do I mean, except try to get away. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. I mean, you're lucky your chain didn't break then. I mean, they would have been, you would have been dog meat. I was thinking about it. I was thinking about it because (laughs) part of it is the torque. You know, I'm, I I have some patents and stuff. So it's part of the torque is you can't put too much pressure on it, but you can uh, generate a lot of speed, as much speed as I could possibly do. The chain will take it, but I can't, I can't jerk it. I can't change gears suddenly and things like that. Right, right, right. Yeah. No, that, that makes, uh, that makes sense. And I mean, you have to be mindful of that, but I just love this image uh, this, you know, I like in Jurassic Park where you have this like mouth bearing down and you snapping at your heels while you're, and I love the way you describe it because you, I mean, I got to give you credit here. You didn't, you, you really described it as you were screaming and hollering and you were, you, you didn't try to, you know, yeah, yeah, you didn't go macho with it at all. You were like, I was terrified. I was screaming, ah, and I could just well, vision yeah, it. Yeah, you, you, you can talk to my wife and she's, she's. Probably never seen me so scared. Yeah, I can imagine. Well, when when you're looking death in the eye, I mean, that's not something that happens very often. But luckily, it didn't happen too many times. Uh, except after your trip, do you have time? Can we do ten minutes as an uh, about your epilogue? Do you have ten more that's, minutes to do? That's fine. Okay, yeah, that's fine. Well, that's let, fine. let's yeah. talk about that. Let's. So that's a good place to end because you you conquered the you know the third mighty dog of your trip. You cross into North Pole and you did this whole trip, which is which is absolutely amazing. People can still find it on your website so if people want to track your blog read that or you know check out your other books uh your patents or maybe even make one of those um the the whitgriff <laughs> the whitgriff wrist rack uh you know how can people yeah. do that how can people find you and, and get a hold Just, of that stuff uh, go to relating to ancients.com relating to ancients.com is my website because that's my series of books uh, where i uh, research culture and uh, learning systems, how they're changing. And so that's my series of books, but I have my patents and uh, videos on there. My blogs are on there, things like that. And what about uh, any social media at all? Yeah, I'm, I'm on uh, uh, best place to probably watch some of this stuff is on YouTube. Yes, I'm on Facebook. Just enter my name on Facebook. That's me. I have uh, uh, followers. I put on uh, clips different times of different things that I do. But um, YouTube, I have a number of, of YouTube videos. So enter my name and millet or name and North Pole or, uh, you know, you'll, you'll find some of my videos. Or just type in Mr. Millet. Anything millet, I think, will you will come up because there's no one else working on it. Not the way you oh, are, Gary. Surprising, Karen. surprising. I mean, this is a, a worldwide crop. You'll see a lot of people in <laughs> India. Uh, uh, my last research paper is actually this winter. I, I put out my last research paper because when the Soviet Union collapsed, I, I sent millet to Mongolia to try to get them uh, back into their natural food production. And so um, my last paper was on uh, millet production in Mongolia and, and how the the country changed from basically every type of system uh, of government from uh, uh, monarchy, not monarchies, uh, theocracies to uh, communism, socialism, um, dynasties, 300-year dynasty, that ended in the 19th, 20th century. So I, I, there's a research paper on that too. So not to bore you more. No, no, it's millets <laughs> change in the world. I mean, it's really, it's doing all that. And, and we're, it's, a, it's a health food. It is, of course. It's changing everything. And we are too. You know, if you want to find the show, uh, it's fascinatingnouns.com. And of course, if you're listening to the audio version, you can check out the video version on YouTube. Daniel J. Glenn is where you find that. And of course, Facebook. And uh, we're on Fascinating Nouns. And then on Twitter, Fascinating Noun. Uh, But this is, you know, this has been just an incredible story. And we're going to talk a little bit more about the epilogue, give a little bonus episode for those listening to our podcast feed. Uh, But until then, Gary... Thank you so much for being on the show today. This has been incredible. I appreciate it, Daniel. You have a great show and a great personality to do these kind of shows. Oh, thanks, Gary. I appreciate that. I don't want, I thank you, and I want to thank everyone for listening. Have a good night. Fascinating Nouns is a Glenn Co. production and is hosted and produced by me, Daniel J. Glenn. The show producer for this episode was Sarah Brandt. 
The Fascinating Nouns introduction was produced by Daniel J. Glenn and E.A. Barrientos with music and sound design written and performed by E.A. Barrientos. And I'm guessing after listening to this, you never want to miss another episode. You're going to want to subscribe. We are on all of your favorite podcasting platforms. and We even have links right there on our show website, which is fascinatingnouns.com. You can find all the links right there. And let's say you don't have a favorite podcasting platform. That's no problem. You can listen to every episode right there on the website, which is once again, fascinatingnouns.com. And while you're there, don't forget to sign up for our newsletter. It's a great way to learn more about the episodes that you're listening to, find out about upcoming episodes, and to just keep in touch with the community. It's right there on the website. Speaking of community, there's no better way to stay in touch than on social media. And you can find links to our show's Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, and YouTube pages right there on the front page of fascinatingnouns.com. And speaking of YouTube, there's a video version of this episode there right now, uh, as well as other past episodes and all future episodes. It's going to be right there, youtube.com backslash Daniel J. Glenn. It's a great way to see all the guests and, uh, you know, check it out live and in person. Feel like you're there in studio. Great way to do it, youtube.com backslash Daniel J. Glenn. And finally, if you like this show, you're going to like everything that I do. Go to DanielJGlenn.com and check out all of my projects and see what's going on. Once again, thank you for listening. End of transmission.